the Gubby Gubby are the traditional custodians of the lands we record this podcast on. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging, as they hold the memories, tradition and culture of this land. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Hello, I'm Kate Fisher. Welcome to Milkshakes for Mali, the podcast that tells the stories of blood donors and their recipients. We thank donors and encourage people to donate blood, plasma, platelets and breast milk. If you have ever been a donor, you could be the one who saved, prolonged or improved the quality of life of the person that we profile here each week on the podcast. And becoming a donor in the future means that you too could become a part of this story. This podcast was inspired by our amazing six-year-old daughter, Marley, who is currently in remission from a disease called autoimmune encephalitis. There is no cure, but symptoms can be managed by regular plasma infusions. For Marley, these infusions are life-saving when she relapses and life-preserving for every infusion in between. Milkshakes for Mali is the name of our lifeblood team of donors who have been inspired by Mali's story. This podcast is a way of thanking the one in 30 eligible Australians that donate blood for the one in three Australians that will need it during their lifetime. Our hope is that many more Australians will join the Milkshakes for Mali lifeblood team and we can show Mali how her story is inspiring Australians to save, prolong or improve quality of lives of people every single day. Just a brief message before we get into today's episode to clear up a common misconception about the Milkshakes for Mali podcast and let people know that this is not a lifeblood product and we do not receive any funding from Red Cross Lifeblood or any other external source. My husband Jeff and I volunteer our time and expertise to make this podcast to thank blood donors and to encourage new ones. We are always so deeply grateful to our guests for trusting us with their stories and for volunteering their time for interviews with us. However, this does cost us money to make and to ensure the continuation of this podcast, we are open to private or corporate sponsorship. Please get in contact with us if you are interested. And now on with today's show. Michael Klim is best known as an Australian swimming legend. A triple Olympian, Klim represented Australia at the Atlanta, Sydney and Athens Olympics and bagged medals at every single Games, totalling two gold, three silver and one bronze. Perhaps his most memorable swim for Australia would be his unforgettable lead-off swim in the 4 by 100 metre relay final in which he broke the 100 metre world record to set Australia up to smash them like guitars in the Sydney Olympics victory. Well known as one of the most popular and versatile swimmers of a generation, Klim retired from swimming in 2007. Since then, he has lived life away from the spotlight between Bali and Australia as the general manager of his men's skincare line. Michael made a brief appearance back in the spotlight earlier this year when he shared with the world that he was suffering from the rare neurological disorder called chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy. You will hear us refer to this during this episode as CIDP. 
CIDP is an autoimmune disease in which the body's immune system attacks myelin that insulates and protects the body's nerves, and there is no cure. However, the progress of this disease can be slowed and quality of life for the sufferers can be significantly improved through intravenous immunoglobulin infusion, or IVIG, as regular listeners of the pod have heard us refer to before. Marley and Michael are using the same treatment, and it is all thanks to Australian plasma donors. This interview has been months in the making, and Michael has done very limited media since announcing his diagnosis. I am incredibly grateful to him for joining us from his home in Bali to record this episode, and please be aware that we had quite a few technical difficulties in recording this, and some of the audio quality isn't amazing, but we've kept it all in just to keep it as such an authentic and special episode. So, fresh off his return from the USA where he was inducted into the International Swimming Hall of Fame. And with a random special guest appearance from his dog, I give you my interview with Klimi. Michael Klim, welcome to the Milkshakes for Mali podcast and community. <laughs> Thank you for having me. So it took a while to get to get together but we finally got there so I'm really pleased. You're absolutely worth the wait. Um, Now I don't even know where to start when introducing you today. You are so well known for your incredible swimming career and just a few weeks ago you were inducted into the International Swimming Hall of Fame. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah I guess it's a um, it's well it's 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 obviously it's an amazing honor but it's one that uh comes with a lot of reflection and 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 a lot of uh i guess you know you you realize the journey that i've been on you sort of it flashes but it flashes back before your eyes and um the people that have been part of that journey from right from my swimming teacher um in india to you know to my late my late coach who passed away just last year you know and, and then my parents my family who who were you know fortunate enough to to be there on the night with me so um you know people people think we do these things ourselves but without the support very similar to this <laughs> our illnesses our disorders yeah. there it's not a one-man team so there is uh there was such an an amazing group of people that have helped me to to get to that level and um yeah it's it's you know certainly when you get awarded in, in you know and or get inducted into the hall of fame you you're certainly uh you're well and truly retired so that's, that's <laughs> a, there's 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 never any comebacks from there so um <laughs> no. i think i can comfortably hang up my my togs <laughs> <laughs> um it must have been so special having your parents there with you and also your partner michelle um she wasn't yeah. part uh, it wasn't your partner during your competitive swimming days, and yet swimming is such a big part of your identity. So, how special was mm. it to have her there with you to celebrate that milestone? Uh, look, it was very special for for us as a couple because she's been with me in the last sort of three and a bit years, which have been, as we'll, we'll touch on, uh, yeah. quite difficult a difficult period for us personally with with my disorder and. Um, and so she's endured, she's endured a different part of me. And I always say to her that she got the dud versions. She should have <laughs> met, met me about 20 years ago. But um, so I think it all for me, it meant a lot to have her in the room as well mm-hmm. too. Um, maybe just a ro- reminder of what, 
what I've achieved. No, but um, mm-hmm. it was no, she, it, was, it was actually really special for, to mm-hmm. have her in the room and um, appreciate her support. And over last uh, last three years, I was really determined to go uh, this year because you know, as as you know, with these sort of autoimmune disorders, you don't know how how quickly they digress or mm-hmm. what, what's going, what's around the corner. And I still needed my walking stick. I, I didn't want to use my walking stick up on stage, but, yeah. I, you know, I, I still had to. And But I'm glad I'm, you know, I made it and, 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 and got the award. Mm. And what an incredible permission that gives to other people as well, watching you use the right mobility aids to be able to do what you need to do. So people will see mm. you doing that and, you know, to go from being an Olympic swimmer to being able to use a mobility aid to still do the things in your life that you need to do, I guess it really puts things into perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And you wouldn't believe it, my my AFO, my brace, I literally broke on the day of departure so I I, I, you know and which I rely on <laughs> heavily and I'm being a hundred kilos I sort of you know they they do give me a lot of support and they also yes. give me a little bit of energy return as well so my walking is much easier and uh, I had to buy one off the shelf in the states and well obviously it's not not as good as the one that I had before no. so um, my walking was compromised so it's almost like it was one of those Murphy's Law Yep. of things but uh we got through it so and you know i was very self-conscious about using my walking stick in the in, let's say you know previous to my sort of public announcement about the disorder and um but now it's yeah like you said it does give give me permission and give you know people ask the, the kids generally because i coach kids every mm. day and they they have no filter and which is yeah. which is great you know they yeah. said why why are you using a walking stick today and I said oh yeah. my legs are a bit sore and I need them to you know help me to get around the pool so I can coach you guys so mm. um so yeah it's I've um a lot of these kind of inhibitions and um issues that I have with people's perception have definitely this this process of you know being public with my disorder has definitely helped me with you know not not really. I mean, I still always care about what people think in regards yeah. to, you know, but it's not to the degree where it was before. You know, I was always thinking the worst, whereas now um, we'll touch on this later, but um, it's been just nothing but support and nothing but mm. positive sort of vibes coming my way. Yeah. So we'll talk a little bit about the other people that you've got in your corner. Um, can you tell me about your kids and how old they are now? Yeah, so I've got three kids. I've got Frankie, he's 11. I've got Rocco, he's 14. He's a growing lad. He's nearly six foot. And then I've yeah. got Stella, 16, and she's she's six foot as well. So I've got these, they're not so little, not so little tin lids, really. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so they've, they've really witnessed, um, you know, for the first, until we had a diagnosis and even well into that time, I um sorry, that was my dog just going bananas. That's okay. We always have dogs that pop in on the podcast. <laughs> it's a very dog friendly podcast. <laughs> uh, I'll get her I'll get her in the shot later, but she's I don't know what she's doing. But um yeah, so uh yeah, so it was probably a year or so until the diagnosis that we let the kids know because of we weren't sure where it was going to go and yeah, sure. we didn't want to alarm them without, you know, actually having some, you know, diagnosis mm-hmm. and any sort of um, idea ourselves. But they've, um, 
you know, their, their awareness and also their, um, their understanding has been amazing. You know, like when we walk into a public, public place, they, they're always sort of walking just in front of me or just to the left or right so I can lean on them. And yeah. um, they're, you know, they're much, you know, very aware of, you know, getting things for me when, when they know that I'm sort of inhibited for mm-hmm. whatever reason. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been a tough journey because, uh, you know, I've, unfortunately there's a lot of things that I can't do with them anymore. I used to surf and play basketball, tennis, um, skate and, you know, things that, you know, parents do and um and that's that's unfortunately you know that that was part of that griefing process that I'm still kind of going through it's three Mm. three years three years in and there's a lot of things personally that I I was quite active and adventure racing sports etc and a lot of those things that I can't do either but um you know we, we i think yeah we, we've got a pretty good sort of mindset now and mm. and we're yeah making the most of what we what we've got yeah so do they have a good awareness of what your olympic career and your swimming career was like or is it not cool because you're still just their dad so they're not into it anyway <laughs> it's funny that i don't think they they're great with details but they sort yeah. of know that you know obviously there's when when we they they joke around because here in in Bali there's you, when I'm on the motorbike or we're cruising past sort of a touristy area, a lot of the time I get like this uh, people calling out going Clemmy, <laughs> you know? and, and so when they when they see me at school they go Clemmy, <laughs> so they they kind of they like the they like the sort of um, and then. Yeah, I guess, you know, they know that I swam and won gold, et cetera. But I think in terms of specifics, they're not really that aware. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm still, yeah, I, I'm, I think they like it when it, uh, you know, makes them look cool at school. But other yeah. than that, I think I'm just normal. I'm just a normal dad. There's just some gold medals <laughs> kicking about, you know, somewhere in a back room. Not a big deal. Yeah, yeah just a bedside table. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so at the top of this episode, um, before we started recording, I've given a brief overview and I'm going to have a crack at actually saying it properly. So chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy. Is that yep, close? Yep, that's or good. Yeah, CIDP, CIDP <laughs> sounds much, much easier. Let's sure. use that during the episode. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> which is the rare, it's the rare disease that you have. Um, and of course, mm-hmm. a reminder, this is not a scientifically or medically correct podcast. So I don't expect you to be mm-hmm. across all the medical aspects <laughs> of it. Um, yeah, you yeah. and Marley have um, a, ver- a very similar autoimmune response in your bodies in that um, your immune system is attacking the sheaths around your nerve cells. In Marley's case, mm-hmm. with her autoimmune encephalitis, her immune system is wrongly identifying her healthy brain cells as foreign um, and attacking her brain, which results in brain inflammation and seizure activity. So you're probably mm-hmm. one of the very few people that really understand what Marley is going through. <laughs> yeah. Um, can you tell me about your experience of your illness? Yeah, so with mine, um, it attacks the peripheral nerves and um, that are in, in my body. So um, predominantly my my legs. It started it with my feet and worked its way up. So I had um, I was actually I had a bunch of other injuries and I was putting it off as as men do. <laughs> and yeah. I had a bad ankle. I had a bad ankle that needed sorting out, and I had a, some uh, some. 
um, back degenerative sort of back problems. Um, and I was sort of rehabbing those. And as I was, you know, rehabbing those, I noticed that my function in the, the other leg, um, so my bad, I had a bad ankle on the left side, but my, I couldn't actually do a calf raise on the right side to, right. you know, while I was rehabbing on my, my left ankle. And then slowly we, you know, with my physio, we noticed that, you know, severe muscle wastage coming in, uh, my, you know, my strength in my, my hamstrings, uh, my hip flexors, everything started to deteriorate really. And, I, and the sensations that I was having in my legs, I knew there was something wrong from yeah. very, you know, almost shaking to tingling to sort of almost like a feeling of someone pouring water or warm water down down my thighs. And, mm. um, and it's, yes, all these different kind of um, autonomic, um, sensations in my yep. feet, discoloration. Um, so, but the most, you know, the, I think it once it, you know, I started obviously all the biopsies and the blood tests and scans, etc. And um, you know, there was certainly an increase in proteins in my blood. So there, there was, you know, there was certainly a breakdown of tissue and things like that. So um, it did take about a year to diagnose a CRDP. There is another one, another disease called GBS, which is also very similar to CRDP, where it, uh, your your peripheral nerves get affected. And um, so there was sort of a question: is it this or is it that? But um, yeah, I think we've you know we've we've been treating a CRDP for the last sort of uh, you know three years now, and um, the the biggest. The, the biggest sort of effect that I initially had was, you know, just fatigue, which I didn't, I don't, you know, I don't, <laughs> I, I used to go at a hundred miles an hour, even after, after swimming, you know, yeah. running, uh, running a business in Australia and living in Bali, you know, traveling back and forth. I used to, you know, I used to have a pretty high level of, of energy and tolerance mm. as well. And I could put up with many, you know, I felt my, Mechanically, maybe my body wasn't all that great, but when it came yeah. to immune system, I always felt I never really got colds and things like that. So when this started happening, I was, you know, kind of taken back because I thought I was pretty, pretty resilient to most things. Um, so yeah, so fatigue, but just my balance, my walking, um, you know, because I don't really have carbs anymore. I don't, you know, I can't push up from step to step. So that's mm -hmm. where the braces come into play. Um, you know, I, it affects obviously when you're walking funny, it affects your, the back that I always, back problems that I have as well. So there's just a chain of, you know, chain of things that sort of flow on from there. But then, you know, the, and the, my probably, I wouldn't say the most important thing, but the thing that affected me, um, recently is probably my mental state because it was, you know, this change of complete identity um com complete change of you know mindset as to how to approach my lifestyle how to approach people around me putting myself you know putting my recovery first I guess in, in a way because if I don't then you know everyone else suffers yeah. from it so it's been um yeah it's I mean very similar to I guess Marley's in a probably in a fortunate position where she's you know she's still a a kid and and learning about her condition whereas um you know i i got given all the info from the word get-go and i was yeah. pretty you know they, they gave me the stats of you know 30 percent of people with your condition end up in the wheelchair and i was determined not to not to get there yet. so yeah um and 
luckily, luckily I can still do a lot of the things that I do enjoy. You know, um, you know, water is my friend, obviously non-load bearing. So I, I swim probably every second day. Um, I've got a bike just out there. <laughs> I, I ride my bike probably on, on the other days and, um, I'm, yeah, so I'm, I can still remain active and I obviously I'm back coaching and I've got the Clemson Academy here in, in Bali. So and working with some in Victoria and Melbourne and I've got Perbank Grammar where I do some coaching as well with them. So I'm sort of back in, in the sport that, you know, created, or I guess I had the passion from the word get go, but, yeah, yeah. um, it's um I think it was it gave me a lifestyle where it wasn't so taxing on my body. I wasn't mm-hmm. flying back and forth. I wasn't, you know, constantly on the move. So um I'm a little bit more in, in control and it's a bit it's a lot less stressful than being in retail, that's for sure. Yeah. So you've moved away from your business now, the skincare business? Yeah, so I've I've moved away. I mean, I was sort of GM for about thirteen years and it's mm-hmm. um, you know, being in running a, a small business such as that where I was doing everything from, you know, obviously being front and center in the PR space and the marketing space, sales, et cetera. I was, you know, constantly on the, on the go from meetings and mm. et cetera. We were going through transitions too with acquisitions and bits and pieces. So um, it was just quite demanding. And then obviously um, mentally as well, it was so draining, you know, I, I used to, I used to almost be able to recover when I came back to Bali, even even having the kids. But, um, you know, I got to a stage where I just was not recovering at all. You know, the, the trips were taking so much out of me that I just, you know, my quality of life started, you know, yeah, deteriorated really quickly. But, you know, there was constantly something, you know, at first I had the moon boot, then I had to, you know, walking was so difficult that I was using crutches because it was easier than a walking stick and, mm-hmm. you know, I could go on. But it's, um, yeah, I just didn't. And, it, yeah, for whatever reason, it, I, you know, I sort of disassociated myself from that and I said, oh, well, I have to look after myself and my family yeah. first and then yeah. um, whatever happens, happens. So, um, yeah. So now I'm, something uh, as like I said, this. back and doing doing Clemson. <laughs> yeah, something like this really gives you the opportunity to reflect on what your priorities are as well. Um, how have you created the space to grieve for that life that you thought that you had coming forward um, mm-hmm. and to be replaced with what that looks like now? Uh, yeah, good question because I was probably in denial for a while because the I think a lot of people thought with my background and my, I guess, my mental toughness in sport and resilience that they, I literally every question was, oh, so how long until you get over this? You know, how long, how long is the recovery from it? And, mm-hmm. and the hardest answer is, you know, there is no such, there's no recovery. No, the, we don't, no. Have, we don't have any, anything. So, um, so trying to, answer that without being rude it's quite mm-hmm. hard but yeah. um so and and then also you know all my previous injuries in sport and they were very structured in the sense that you know like I knew if I did my shoulder I had to you know stop you know lay off it for a little bit do some thorough band exercises bit of soft tissue mm-hmm. I knew I mean, maybe three to four weeks you know or whatever whatever it might be but it was you know, I had a, a precise timeline to a lot of my sort of injuries, whereas this is kind of 
it's yeah, it's never ending. We don't really know. We don't have that crystal ball. So that's that was the hardest thing mentally to getting into this. And it took me, you know, I I actually I really struggled with my motivation of the, the constant sort of treatment and you know i still do exercises now for activation of even the muscles that are not not always present so mm -hmm. i was getting really tired and demotivated not really looking after myself on a even lifestyle level from a, you know nutrition and mm -hmm. things like that but it i did turn a corner significant one probably earlier this year where um you know i i sort of you know doing all the right things and i could see you know like i've definitely stabilized them similar to marley where Amazing. You know, I'm definitely not getting worse, but I'm, uh, you know, I, I've, you know, not improving at this stage. So, um, but yeah, we'll just sort of hang on and see what, what we can do. Yeah. I can't imagine how frustrating that must be, the tool being your body that has yeah. brought you so much success and joy um, and incredible things in life is now attacking itself because that's literally what an autoimmune response is, is that your body is yeah. wrongly attacking itself. And yeah. Um, yeah. I interviewed your good mate, Libby Trickett, um, earlier mm. in the mm. year, and I put a similar yeah. parallel to her with, you know, what an incredible advocate she has been for mental health and um, mm. she's, mm. She's just a phenomenal chick. I she, love Lisa. She's amazing, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm speaking at a conference with her on Wednesday and, yeah, we've crossed paths a bit lately, both being in Queensland. Fantastic. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, her struggle through that as well, that I think it gives such permission to anybody who's experiencing injury, illness or disability to see mm. you guys as Olympians whose, you know, physical and mental toughness has been so important to mm. being world record holders, gold medalists, you know, some of the most respected people in Australia, because let's be honest, sport is like a religion here in this country. So <laughs> you guys yeah. are adored. And I think it gives such incredible normalization and permission for other people that are experiencing those things to go, well, it's not just get up and get on with life. You know, that's, you know, yeah. that's sometimes just your Absol experience of it. Absolutely. It was very leveling. Um, mm. It was humbling in the sense. And, um, you know, I think, uh, probably the the most um, amazing thing that came out of the fact that I was a sport in the in a sport was this community of of athletes that came out to support you know mm -hmm. and um, if it was verbally or through a message or you know assisting me with contacts or doing research for me you know like from anyone from Daniel Kowalski to Ian Thorpe to you know, these my teammates in 2000, like this, everyone's been so amazingly supportive mm. that, um, you know, I, I think, yeah, so um, I think those those relationships that we forged, you know, over the years, you know, it's, it, I'm so mm. pleased and glad that I've got that uh, now because sometimes we tend to, you know, we get on with life and we don't really sort of connect all that all that much. But um, if anything, this this last couple of years has de definitely brought us yeah. really close. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting thing. Libby said something very similar when I interviewed her. And there's that thing that we say that swimming is not a team sport, but it's obviously that team atmosphere that you guys still hold on to so much, you know, after yeah, your retirement. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people forget that we do, you know, when we travel, we you know, we're obviously training, we're eating meals together, we're training together, yeah. we, you know, roomies and all that sort of stuff. And we sort of, we go through the ups and downs, you know, as a team. So when someone 
has a bad experience or a bad swim or whatever. We we're right there with yes. with them. So it's be very, you know, ignorant of some of of anyone to to just get on with their own job and and not to acknowledge or try and help. So we we had a really great culture that, you know, like we were there to support each other and it and it would come back and you know, tenfold when you needed it at a at a certain time. So yeah. I think that was you know, and it's I never thought that I'd be in this position, but I'm, you know, very grateful that um, I've had so much support from those guys. Yeah, amazing. Um, now to bring it back to the blood donation and blood recipient aspect mm-hmm. of it, I've been so keen to get you on the podcast um, because like CIDP, there's no cure for autoimmune encephalitis, which is what Marley has. Mm-hmm. Um, the symptoms can be managed with regular infusions of intramunous immunoglobulin and steroids or mm-hmm. IVRG, as we also mm-hmm. affectionately call it. Yeah. <laughs> and for those new to the pod, IVRG mm-hmm. is a solution of human plasma proteins with a broad spectrum of antibody activity, and it's made from human plasma donation. This is what mm-hmm. saves Marley's life when she relapses and preserves her life for every infusion in between. Um, can you give me an idea of the first discussions that you had with your health professionals about IVRG? Well, it's going back a little while, but um, look, we looked at, we started IVRG without really having the, the complete diagnosis because mm-hmm. of the symptoms. So, um, you know, obviously we knew that, or I was told that obviously the, the side effects are minimal um, and, you know, we just didn't want to, let some of these symptoms get worse. So, um, yeah. I, yeah, pretty much it was actually, um, yeah, it was October, October, 2019 was my first infusion. So, um, so I've, yeah, basically been, been doing IVIG for three years. Sometimes yeah. it was very tricky through COVID. I don't know how. Marley that was my next it, but... question. <laughs> how do you manage that? Because I imagine that you would have to come back to Australia to have it. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. How do you so manage I, that I, through a global health pandemic? That was very, very tricky. And, you know, I've mentioned Michelle's support and without her, like, so she helped me travel back to Australia. And obviously um, I couldn't, you know, travel with the kids. So I'd go into quarantine and come out and do very high doses of IVIG, Um for let's say five to six months and I'd come back with another five to six. So it was, um, yeah, it was sort of because the borders were closed and knew I was coming back for emergency purposes. But um, we had, not only was I away from my kids for such a long time, but we were, you know, living in, in Sydney, just, you know, close to the hospital just so I could have my treatment. And mm-hmm. so it's, um, yeah, it was, it was a tricky time because it's even now, you know, now that I can sort of almost jump on the plane whenever I feel like it, it's it's it still takes, a, you know, it's not as easy as driving down the road to the hospital like I was um, in Sydney. So, it, it um, unfortunately, the IVIG here is it's not subsidised and covered by the government, so and I can't bring it back in my suitcase, unfortunately, yeah, sure. yet. So I've, <laughs> not I've quite asked, as easy to I've transport asked. as some other medications. <laughs> exactly, I've asked, but... Um, yeah, so it's you know the logistics around that, and you know I did start on very on, on also on prednisolone and high doses of steroids, but that's um, you know the rebound effect was actually 
detrimental for me and it actually started affecting my eyesight and things like that. So I um I don't use that one anymore. I've, I've a couple of times only in, in, in emergencies where yeah. you know I've had some probably more for my back than anything else. But um yeah. yeah, so there's you know, as you know, there's a it's it's constantly shifting and you know, I'm always looking at alternative treatments or what you know, if there is, you know, there's any trials coming up, etc. So, um, and there is, you know, within each disorder, and there are so many different specifics as well, you know, every individual reacts to different treatments. So, um, yeah, I guess I'm quite open now to experimental things and, but mm. um, always listening and sticking to what, uh, you know, my neurologist instructs. So, um, yeah, I'm, I definitely have, you know, previously I had challenges and with COVID, but at the moment it's it's even just the, uh, I guess people are traveling again and it's, you know, getting on flights and, you know, and the, and the cost of flights, it's been astronomical. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm sort of being being overseas and trying to manage the, the treatment is, is, you know, has its challenges, but um, we work around it, as you, as you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so... I guess to finish us off, what message do you have for Australian blood donors um, who have been able to make sure that you can have this IVIG or anyone who's considering a donation in the future? Okay, it's it's very hard to put into words because it, even when I sit in, in the chair and I have my infusion and, you know, each, each bottle takes at least probably 10 donors to to create the the compound of IVIG mm. and it's you know and I sometimes go through five to six of those bottles um so you know there's between 50 or 60 people that have donated blood for me to have one treatment alone mm. so it's staggering um you know it's yeah it's it's people probably don't realize how how beneficial it is for you know for for me, for Marley, for people, just to, mm-hmm. for us to, you know, keep our lifestyle to a certain level and, mm-hmm. you know, to co- continue functioning, to be, you know, part of the community, et cetera. So um, it is, you know, I, I was, I wasn't a blood donor. I'd never, never donated blood previously. And um, if I, you know, it's, it's, I guess for this insight, I wish I had, you know, yeah. so it's, um, yeah, so I'd encourage everyone to, you know, to, if they're doing it already, to, you know, the effect that they have, the positive effect, it's just unbelievable. Clemmy was just the most epic guest, so generous with his time and his honesty about what has undoubtedly been a very challenging time for him and for his family. It was an honour to interview such an Aussie legend and I am so grateful to him for choosing our podcast to share his story and to thank blood donors that have had such a profound impact on his quality of life. Nothing feels more Australian like the modern demonstration of mateship than donating blood or breast milk and this product being used to keep another Australian alive. Our daughter is still alive today because of this incredible selfless gift and it is my privilege to create a space for others to tell their stories and to give thanks. This episode was written and hosted by me, Kate Fisher. Today's guest was Michael Klim. Audio production and welcome to country by Jeff Fisher. If today has inspired you to make a blood donation, we would love it if you could add your donation to the Milkshakes for Marley Lifeblood team.
You can request this when you book in for your donation by calling Lifeblood on 13 14 95. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please let us know if you have a story or to share or nominate guests who you would like me to interview by DMing me through the Milkshakes for Marley Instagram page. And as always, please rate, share, review and send this episode to a friend. And I will leave the final word to Marley. Thank you for my prize, Marley.